The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Dietary Requirements, the Spin-Offs Food Podcast. I am your host, Simon Day, and as always, I'm joined by the Spin-Offs Food Editor, Alice Neville, and our favourite hospitality tycoon, Sophie Gilmore. <laughs> Kia ora, Simon. I don't have time to come up with a new adjective, I'm sorry. I think tycoon has got to go. It was funny the first time. It's oh. actually a noun, but you know. True. Thanks, Alice. Uh, <laughs> And, but you are a tycoon. Your empire is ever expanding. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Each Thank month, you. we all get together to talk about food. We usually eat and drink delicious things. But this month, we're still recording remotely as podcast studios and microphones seem about as gross as a warm bowl of water for dipping your fingers in when you're sharing a shellfish platter. But today, our guest is Justin Giovanetti. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Nailed it. Here's the spin-off's brand new political editor. Justin arrived on the 5th of May from Canada, where he was working at the Globe and Mail as the Alberta reporter based out of Calgary. And he went into two straight weeks of quarantine. His journey here was a bit of an odyssey, and it's worth reading about on the spinoff.co.nz. But welcome to New Zealand, Justin. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's great to finally be here. How long was the whole trip from the time you found out that your flights were no longer going to go to eventually arriving in New Zealand? About two months. Wow. Yeah. So Bef- it was it was two like two months of daily effort to get yeah, to New Zealand. Well, what I was going to say is, was that happening every day? People said there was flights. You had a flight, and then the flight was gone, and then you'd have another flight, and then that flight would be gone too. I mean, I didn't cancel flights every single day, but uh, I, I did figure out how to use like the Air New Zealand uh, phone service pretty rapidly in terms of how to book and cancel flights. So I think I must have gone through eight different kind of bookings with Air New Zealand before it finally worked. What do you think about nation's favorite airline? Um, I actually mentioned it in the piece, Air New Zealand was fantastic. They yeah. really were. Like it was. We know. It, it, it was like. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is like I'm calling them during the worst time in their history. Like it, it, international air travel is collapsing. Uh, air Canada was I had to deal with them, too, and they were just horrible. Their website melted down for a week. You couldn't get through to them. Air New Zealand was just like apparently everyone in the company, except for like the pilots and the flight attendants, just dropped everything and picked up the phone. And it was great. It, it, it worked. Awesome. It worked well. Yeah. Justin's written a great story about his epic journey that you should all read on the spinoff.co.nz if you haven't. Please read it. And before we get into food, I briefly wanted to talk about politics, which is what you've come here to write about. I wanted to talk about Canadian politics, though, because you covered the rise and fall of Doug Ford. I did, yeah. Well, I, I covered the rise of Doug Ford. He hasn't fallen yet. Oh, am I thinking of his brother who's the crackhead? Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Did you cover oh, yeah, his that brother? Crackhead. No, I didn't. No, that was that was a little before my time. I was in uh, I was in Quebec, so I actually grew up in the French part of Canada. So uh, Ontario had its kind of Toronto, yeah, crack politics, and and we just had like p- just pure construction corruption. So I I dealt with our own scandals at that time. But they yeah. sound a lot less sexy than the crack smoking, bridge blocking. What was yeah. his name? Uh, Rob Ford. Rob can, some, Ford. can someone yeah. give those of us that are not familiar a quick rundown on this story? Yeah, so uh, the mayor of Toronto, good God, in the oh, late 2000s uh, was captured on video uh, smoking crack in, uh, oh God, it's, I'm forgetting it now. It's either his mother's basement or a friend's basement. I'm pretty sure it was a, a friend's basement. And so these fairly shadowy characters had had the video of of him doing that. Uh, for kind of background, Rob Ford is, was, he, he has since died from cancer, which is horrible. Uh, but he was, uh, he was a really weird figure. He was this kind of real populist, this real kind of man of the people kind of person. Uh, uh, to be fair, a lot of people in, in the left hated him. There were people in the media who didn't like him. He didn't act or sound, obviously, like your, your kind of regular politician. Right. Uh, he, he was this kind of guy who would just throw out his cell phone number to everyone. And just his idea of fixing a problem was to actually show up as the mayor in his Cadillac Escalade and try to fix the problem. Um, and so eventually these videos got out uh, that he was doing drugs. Uh, there was a whole bunch of other things in office. He had an alcohol problem. He'd show up drunk at City Hall. Uh, he'd hang out in these clubs. He had a pretty shady crew of people around him that just weren't good for him. And, was uh, he an he, addict? Or is it just like a one-off party boy thing? It wasn't a one-off. I don't know if I'd say he was an addict, but certainly he comes from a family that had a, a bit of a problem. Um, and so he eventually was removed as mayor. Um, and flash forward a couple of years, and his brother uh, then became the premier of Ontario. So it's like the second most powerful position in the country uh, went to his brother, who his brother had a similar type of politics, very kind of populist, very kind of angry, hating the media, hating the left, uh, you know, get her done, uh, kind of just like your friend's angry dad um, or... And uh, he, but the, the one thing I will say about him is uh, no substance abuse, not a drinker, doesn't do drugs, uh, but uh, definitely kind of loud. So I, I, in Ontario, yeah, I, I covered the rise of, of, of the brother, uh, which was pretty, I mean, it was pretty insane. 
And so uh, this past week, seeing what's been going on at the Beehive, I've been telling, you know, the editors at the spinoff worrying that I've only been here for a week now. And in that week, you know, I sat down with the prime minister, you know, dealt with Ashley Bloomfield, dealt with a coup in uh, in the National Party. And I'm just like, it's OK. I dealt with the Ford brothers. This yeah. is easy. I, I was, I'm, I'm I was going to say, we must be so boring compared to you. It's like, oh, the National Party's got a new leader. <laughs> it's no, it's another it's boring white man. <laughs> It's pretty crazy how 50% of Pakeha males in New Zealand look exactly like Todd Muller. I've seen them <laughs> I know. I've seen them like like him. everywhere. And James I'm McClane, seeing like, them everywhere I, too. Yeah, including yourself, Simon. Uh, I don't I reckon Simon's so. quite there yet. Bald head. Someone but... did think I looked 55 the other day in a meeting. Oh, that is harsh. However, we better pivot towards food. Uh, and Woo-hoo. before we go any further, I'd love to thank our sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be here. Freedom Farms makes all the spin off food coverage possible, including this podcast. And they believe that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how those animals have been farmed. They're dedicated to providing you with the best pork and free range eggs. So if you can't find them in the supermarket, make sure you demand that your supermarket stock them. And if you can find them, buy them. They're really dedicated to the spin-off's unique coverage of the New Zealand food scene, and we're very grateful for their support. Where we're starting today is with Justin's two-week quarantine and the food that he ate. Because the, um, the New Zealand quarantine food went a bit viral via an Instagram account, and some of it looked okay, and some of it looked really bad. Uh, Justin, how would you rate the culinary experience uh, of the quarantine lockdown? I, you know, I'll, I'll give it like an 8 out of 10. It was probably the most food and the most like regular food I've had since I was in college. Wow. That's amazing. What were the highlights? You know, there was, uh, there was steak, steak frites, steak and fries. That yeah. was that was that was pretty awesome. Um, I got, uh, I, you know, I got a dessert with almost every single meal. Uh, so so that was that was pretty good. So it's like being uh, on an airplane the whole time. <laughs> uh, you know, getting like a thing of Charlie's orange juice almost every morning was okay. Uh, yeah. I actually realized by the end of quarantine, I think it was like day twelve. Um, and and just sorry, I'll just say this. The actual term is managed isolation, but I'll keep okay. calling it quarantine because I was in managed isolation and not in quarantine. Uh, quarantine is when they put you into a hotel room and you can't leave because you probably have COVID or you have the symptoms. So I wasn't in that, but for ease of say, I'll just say quarantine. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so the, the <laughs> uh, it was like day 12, day 13 of quarantine and I didn't get my Charlie's. I get some like weird New Zealand sort of semi-apple juice on me something and I it actually sent me like reeling all morning and that was the point <laughs> at which I realized it might be hard to get out of here I, I'm this might be harder than I think it's gonna be were you uh, familiar with New Zealand food stuffs before this yeah so I've visited a few times before my partner's Kiwi and so okay. one of the things we like to do before is actually there are videos of me trying New Zealand food for the first time so the first time like I did an LNP drank LNP there's a video <laughs> of me saying like I get the lemon. I don't understand what pyroa tastes like. Um, so <laughs> that was fun. Uh, yeah, you know, there was a uh, there was a lolly cake one morning in quarantine or one afternoon Ooh. in quarantine that was really good. 
I love lolly cake. Lo- the... Lolly cake is one of my guilty pleasures. Like it's, it was, oh, it's I really don't like it. It's objectively shit. It's objectively shit, but I love it. Nah, it's uh, the... But Justin, you were lucky because you were. I just think we need to say before we go on that you're in the Pullman Hotel, which is like a fancy hotel. So, pretty good place to be quarantined, right? Yeah, although I was asking aviation security, so you should. So the people like your your New Zealand TSA, so the people who actually make sure that passengers are safe on getting onto planes, um, they were actually put in charge of mostly policing us. Uh, so if you had to go for a walk or you really needed to leave the building, you actually had to deal with TSA, uh, or sorry, or uh, av- aviation security. So I asked them, I was like, "Is what are the hotels like? Because I think there was about 10 hotels in Auckland at that, like, are people in backpackers? And they were saying, no, 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 this is, they were saying the Pullman was good, but they were all generally pretty good. I was, I was hearing that there was some people put up in like some fancy hotel on the waterfront where rooms go for like 600 a night. Oh, um, oh yeah, the Hilton, I think there were some people there, weren't there? It was some kind of weird name. So, yeah, but the Pullman was good. And people, yeah, should be aware of that. So in in, I guess the government's drive to keep the hotel industry going, it was actually the hotel's kitchen that was making the food. So you were getting served like Pullman food. And oddly, if this wasn't enough food for you, you could still order from the from the the menu. (laughs) Outrageously, this was still not enough food for you. Yeah, you you could get to order for free. No, you had to pay. pay. Okay. Yeah, you had to pay, but you could order up from like from from the room service menu if if, if you wanted something different or this wasn't enough. Um, I, I will tell you one thing that was funny. So you get off the plane in Auckland, you go through the airport, like you just do all of these tests. Uh, you kind of get it's just like this. It was this kind of two hour whirlwind. And then you get to the hotel, you've been awake for two days, and the last thing they do before you can finally go to your hotel room and finally, you know, have a shower and just get the ickiness of air travel plus like all the horrible covid mm. mask and all of that off of you is they hand you this sheet of paper and they say all right now tell us what you want to eat for the next two weeks um what? and so you actually have to go through this list of like meals that they give you and just say like i would like to have waffles for breakfast tomorrow how about i would like to have uh like scrambled eggs for the day after that it was just the weirdest thing uh so <laughs> just yeah so stressful, it was what's, yeah it was one of the more stressful things what's three times 14 because did you have to choose that many meals in one go? So actually off the bat, I think we had to choose like the first 10 days. And then I had to do, so it was it was about 30 meals. Like, Oh my right. God, I'm one of those people that's terrible at the small decisions in life. Like I would have just, I would have been paralyzed. I'd have, Same, I, I'd, it would just be awful. I'd need 30 minutes just to decide what my meal plan was going to be. So if I will say one highlight definitely was breakfast. Um, so I, I got to get uh, pancakes probably eight times, seven or eight times in like those first 10 days, pancakes. And being a Canadian, for like the first six batches of pancakes, they came with real maple syrup. And then at some point they cheapened out and started giving me like table syrup, like just sugar syrup. I noticed. I'm on to you, Pullman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If anyone's going to notice. So is it correct that maple syrup comes directly out of the tree? Like they put a tap onto the tree? Yeah. Yeah, and then is it processed or you know, great maple syrup is barely touched. One hundred percent maple syrup. From the tea to tree to the bottle. Oh God, no, no, no. So luckily, I'm actually from like the part of the world. So I had an uncle who owned a maple syrup farm. Um, so <laughs> maple syrup gets boiled down. Uh, so what you do is you bring it into these enormous vats, 
and it just gets spoiled from so what you get out of the out of the tree is like maple uh, maple water so when I was a kid at home we'd actually have like pints of this in the fridge that you could just drink maple water that we'd get out of our maple trees in the backyard when you want to turn it into syrup you just boil and boil and boil and boil it down and that's that's generally how you get maple syrup so I think it's a hundred liters of maple water give you about a liter of maple syrup so it's just an incredible amount of boiling but, I can't believe you have an uncle that owns a maple syrup farm. That's like when you're a Kiwi and you go overseas and they say, do you know Scotty? He's a farmer in the South <laughs> Island. And then you actually do. You're like, yeah. <laughs> or like, my uncle was an all black. Do you know anything about maple syrup? Why, yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. So I should say, I'm not your normal Canadian. Um, most can- So my, my Kiwi partner moved to Canada to start like a job in academia. And she thought all Canadians spoke French. She thought all Canadians were you know, uh, would know, have an uncle who speaks maple syrup. There's actually just a small part of the country that speaks French at all. It's mm. a pretty small part of the country who, who knows any of this. Could be, can't you? Yeah, exactly. So, oh, right. so there's only, I mean, there's like 35 million Canadians and there's only about 5 million-ish who speak French really well. Um, so it's... Was it your it's, first it's language? Rare. Like, Pardon me? Was, was French your first language? If you're in Quebec and you go to... A store? Are you speaking Quebecois or are you speaking English? Uh, outside of Montreal, you're going to be speaking French everywhere, and and wow. most people barely speak English. Um, so whenever my partner visits, wow. she's it's it's been difficult for her, been quite intimidating to go to my hometown, which is like ninety nine percent like white French Canadian French, where you know you wow. will go you'll go to the stores, you'll go to the restaurants, and they they don't. They don't speak English. They'll, it's uh, it's gotten a little better over like the last ten years, or worse, depending on what side on, <laughs> on how you view these these things, uh, because Quebecers are kind of like fiercely anti-English. Um, like it's literally yeah. on the license. The so license plate is pretty thing. much a, a like flipping off the Queen. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> Love that. Yeah, it's it's difficult. So so this is a pretty rare Canadian experience. But you know what? Let's find. Let's just keep going with it. I, yeah, uh, stereotype about... the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. they're super protective of the language, right? The French Canadians, like they won't let you say le weekend like they do in France. Is that still the deal? Like they they try to stop it, all the anglicizations getting in. Yeah. So like, and also weirdly, French French and Quebec French. Are very different French. So yeah. because Quebec was invaded by the English many hundreds of years ago, they kind of got cut off from France. And so their type of French is, is several hundred years old, what I'm used to. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're like France, them, and their newfangled French and Le Weekend, Le, le, <laughs> yeah, yeah. le Parking. No, 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 that's <laughs> yeah. not acceptable in, in Quebec. It's La Fenceman, Le Stationnement. Uh, the swearing is completely different too. It's it's mm. just it's all blasphemous in Quebec. Like it's just people are going around and just kind of just saying all the worst things about the church. Uh, that's that's what Quebec is. Do, you know Do they not say va te faire enculer? No. No. What does that mean? I, like, I think it means go fuck yourself up the ass or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Charming, Alice. Va, va te faire enculer. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds better than French. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, isn't this podcast about food? Yeah, good point. Okay, well, kind of. It's about the cultural influence of food. Do you put maple syrup in in Quebec? Do you put maple syrup onto clip, or are you making, like, hotcakes? You you could do both. Yeah, you could do both. The the magical thing about Quebec, so actually it got completely screwed by coronavirus. 
is uh. every spring in Quebec, so kind of like last month, uh, there's these, there's like the, the one great, well, there's so many, but actually a great cultural institution of Quebec is the Sugar Shack, which is all of these, these maples, these places that make maple syrup just turn into these like little celebrations of traditional Quebec food. And so you go there and you just have like unlimited maple syrup and it's just like, it's crepes. It's, it, they even make these special crepes, which are called the crepes dentelles, which is just like this really interesting crepe that has, I, it almost looks like a doily. It's just the weirdest crepe. And then you just get tons of, of, uh, of like eggs, you get beans, you get, um, you get pork rinds. Uh, they just It's just this incredible amount of food just served at these big communal tables. Normally, there's a guy in a fiddle just going to town, like, with traditional music, <laughs> like another guy with, like, like spoons. <laughs> and and you, like, you just pot. Yeah, it's like it's French-Canadian Oktoberfest, except yeah. there's no booze. It's just coffee. And you oh. just pile, uh, like, right. maple syrup on everything. So, like, if you want to, like, the coffee, you put maple syrup in your coffee. Like, I feel it's like just, it would be bitter drunk. <laughs> Everything is. I mean, that that could be the next growth industry. They are like, yeah. Well, they're going to need to make a comeback next year, so you can send them that idea for free. Oh, I mean, I've had whiskey before, like at a sugar shack. So whiskey definitely works. Oh yeah. Yeah. God, I think it's so fascinating. So I thought it's the perfect time to do a plug for the spin-off members. The media has never faced greater tumult, so this is your chance to invest in the spin-off and help us survive COVID-19 and thrive on the other side. The media's never been more important, but we've never been in bigger difficulty. So please support us today. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. So we, we will continue to move slowly towards food. Justin, you're a... Um, an expert in poutine, is that correct? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm working my way towards it, yeah. New Zealand's I'm, leading poutine expert, maybe? I'll, I, you know what, I'll, I, will t- I will try. I'll take that mantle on. There's, what uh, I? Since I, I got here, there's been Kiwis on Twitter who've come out of the woodwork who are, are like Kiwi poutine experts. So okay. it, it's what, time for a taste-off. What is, is poutine? All right, so... Poutine at its like very basic is just fries, like generally like nice fat fries. Um, it's gravy, so it's not any gravy. It's like a good like kind of barbecue gravy. Gravy is where a lot of, of chefs actually can show that what the difference between good and, and, and not so good poutine. Like just it it can be a little sweet, it can be a very spicy. Um, it's a range. People have tastes on gravy, but most importantly of all, and this is where ninety like ninety percent ninety percent of the world's poutine just falters. It's the cheese. It's mm. like it's a very specific cheese. So it's cheese curds that you need in poutine. No other cheese is acceptable. And so cheese curds are like the most basic cheddar you could possibly uh, like make, where it's just this it's just this great squeaky moist cheese. And it's the best thing about it in Quebec is. So cheese curds are are just like are the most they're they're such how do I describe this as a food they're just horrendous in terms of their their how long you can keep them they're good for 24 hours after 24 hours your cheese curds are crap so from the time it's made to the time like you eat it no more than 24 hours and so the reason that cheese curds hold everything together is you got these hot fries then you put the cheese and then you put the gravy on top 
the cheese, because it's so moist, it's so fresh, it's so, uh, it doesn't melt when the gravy goes onto it. So you get like this really nice squeaky cheese with the nice, with the nice fries that, you know, soak up a little bit of sauce, but not too much. And then mm-hmm. just the sauce that just like holds it all together. And that is poutine. And is it is Is there a seasoning, a seasoning in particular? Because I feel like sometimes where the gravy lacks, people kind of make up for it with a sort of chicken salt setup. Chicken salt? Yeah, people put like a um, flavored salt on the chips because they're trying to make up for the gravy, I think. Yeah, that's just bad poutine. Yeah, it's just mm, bad poutine not behavior. Acceptable. And you have a special relationship with poutine through your dad. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Uh, so my dad is, is French Canadian, so he's like a super French guy. My mother's English. Um, so. So there's kind of, you know, like many kids who are bicultural, right? It's it's it, it can be it, it can be tough sometimes to kind of deal to kind of relate with one of your parents if if they kind of have like a different culture than frankly the one you've sort of adopted as your own. And so when I was a kid, I was super English. We could go into this for a while, but it's yeah, I was like an Anglo kid. And then as I got older and older, I was just like, oh man, like I I started getting more and more into the French Canadian side of me. It was the side that was and to this day, I mean, I'm, there's a pretty good equilibrium now. Uh, and so to kind of bridge that a relationship that needed a little bit of mending with my dad, oddly, we found out that other than the Montreal Canadiens, who are the greatest hockey team in the history of hockey and one of the greatest <laughs> sports teams in the history of all sports uh, and have been <laughs> crap for the last 30 years. But um, but prior to that, despite uh, other than a shared love for, for, for the Habs, as, as, they're, as they're known, um, there was poutine. And so I was a reporter in Montreal. My dad was visiting Montreal. And somehow we just started talking about poutine. I told him, I, I want to write the story about kind of the, the, the birth story of poutine. Because there's, there's been a few attempts at it. And they're all kind of not great. And then he said, oh, uh, like, tell me about it. So I said, oh, like, it was these three guys who claimed that they did it in this area of Quebec. Which, the area where you're from, by the way. And he started saying, yeah, give me their names. So I gave him the names. And it turns out that my dad was actually like a milk guy in, uh, when he was like uh, in his late teens, where he'd pick up milk at, from all the farmers, drive it to these fromageries, get the che- and like have the cheese made. And then he would deliver this super fresh cheese that needs to be eaten within 24 hours. So he, he knew they- these guys. He was working in this area it, when they invented poutine. He knew and the so, actual people. Yeah. Oh wow! Wow. So then I was so like, "So when was poutine invented? Is it quite modern?" Uh, between like 1959 and like 1963, depending on like what story you're you're kind of looking into. Uh, my dad is old, um, and so uh, yeah. So we just, I mean, it took a few years for me to actually come come around to it, and then we decided to do like a road trip and um, and actually kind of find these places. Most of them don't exist anymore, but if the kind of story that it came out. To, too, is if even if I can't tell you who was first, and I, if I can't tell you, you know, if, if a lot of those first places aren't there anymore, the restaurants have shut down. Um, the reasons that those places existed are still there. You know, the farmers are generally still there. The the cheese curds are still there. So we're like, it, it became less of a story of who are these specific guys from from the fifties and sixties, and more of a story of why. Why was it this area? And luckily, yeah, my dad grew up in that area. That is, and to be fair, there's only it's about I grew up about a half hour away. So you know, it became this kind of a really fun kind of father son road trip to figure out the history of Putin, and also in many ways kind of became that sort of story of those two cultures in Canada that 
you know, they've been kind of clashing for the last 300 years and we could kind of bridge it with poutine because everyone likes poutine now. It's, That's so cool. It's absolutely delicious. I mean, what's not to like? Have you met anyone that doesn't good. like poutine? Yes. Yes, I have. Monsters. Yeah, they're monsters. monsters. What don't they like about it? Uh, generally, to be honest, it's, it's more of a diet thing. It's because oh, they... Yeah. they can't eat it. If you're someone who doesn't want it, doesn't like chips, like we don't, we don't want to know you. Or so. if you're vegetarian or vegan, you might not want to have gravy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I shouldn't, I mean, really eat it. But, but do you? When I, when I go to Fed Deli. Sounds yeah. like you do, Alice. <laughs> well, yeah, it doesn't really taste like meat to me. It's just sort of salty. Yeah, I mean, it's, but, it's gravy, but. I'm pretty sure the only experience I've had of poutine is at the Federal Deli in Auckland. Have you heard about, because they're kind of famous in Auckland for their poutine. Uh, sorry, the internet just cut out, and I'm 99% sure that was just an earthquake. Uh, Uh-oh. Oh, wow. Wow, you like, Wellington. The, you like the Prime Minister. Uh, Should I see if anyone's tweeting about it? I'm yeah, like, you... I see what she meant. this week, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. it was 5.8. Uh, there's, like, inertial dampeners in the beehive, and the building... That Luke? was weird. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's tons of pieces of metal above me, so... Um, <laughs> they're not falling down at the moment? They're not falling down. We're good. There's no, there's no emergency alarms going off? No, nothing like that. The building was kind of moving like this. It was I think, weird. yeah, people are, people are tweeting about it. Okay. They're, they're pretty, there you go, Justin. You're just like the Prime Minister. You had an on-air... <laughs> you exactly like on the air. Prime Minister. Right. You stayed very calm. Hopefully our podcast goes viral just like she went viral yesterday. <laughs> I, have I you had poutine it. in New Zealand, Justin? I have not. Uh, so I heard Burger Fuel has it. There's a few poutine uh, food trucks that have it. Um, but I, I haven't yet. Uh, I would mostly blame COVID for that. If it wasn't for COVID, I definitely would have tried it at this point. But I'm how, actually writing a book about you? poutine. Is it Sorry? like some, How hooked do you? Is poutine in your routine? Oh, <laughs> Sophie, I love it. Thank you. Uh, no, because I don't live, I haven't lived in Quebec for like, I just can't eat bad poutine. And that's the yeah. thing. You can actually get poutine in most of Canada. That's really good. Uh, so there was a few poutine restaurants in Calgary where I, where I was living for the last two years that were, that were okay. But nah, you don't, you don't really want to have kind of poutine that's just not great poutine. Why, okay, well, why, I think I think he should start with the um, the Fed Deli in Auckland, which Alice was saying they're quite famous for their poutine. And I don't know if I've ever actually eaten it sober, but it's very delicious. <laughs> Maybe hangover. I've eaten it. Um, so I'll come back and I'll give you guys notes on on the Fed Deli. Yeah, that's actually that's yeah. precisely when the earthquake caused the internet to sh- to, to to blank out. So I, I didn't get that, but that's good. That's good oh, advice. Yeah. Were that's, there any other places? Kind of, it's the only one I know of. I don't know if Denny's. anywhere in Wellington. Does Denny's do poutine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if you need it, um, if you're craving your quarantine pancakes and uh, a side of poutine, you could go to Denny's at four o'clock in the morning and have both probably. On Christmas Beautiful. Day. <laughs> That's the only time we should go to Denny's. Is it four in the morning on Christmas Day? Although we think Denny's is like novel and hilarious, but there's probably more places like that in Canada and the States than New Zealand. It just it's such an outlier in New Zealand, that's why it's so funny. I hop. So Justin, tell us about the book. When what's the status? How much have you done? Oh boy. Your poutine book. Yeah, the poutine book. So I went on book leave about a week before COVID struck. Um, so 
not very far. I actually <laughs> sent my publisher an email over the weekend just telling her, hey, let's talk. Um, <laughs> because the it's actually due in, um, it, the, the manuscript was due in August. And uh, I'm like, yeah, we're nowhere near there. Also, uh, I don't live in Canada anymore. Uh, what's up? <laughs> Piers. Um, <laughs> I've got something to tell you. Yeah, so she just emailed me back this morning. So we're going to... Have gonna you read shoot. it? Or is it one that you've left to re- read later? Uh, that was me for like 30 seconds this morning being like... And then I just read it. It was, it was fine. She actually asked about uh, whether or not the lifting of, of New Zealand's COVID re- restrictions would mean that I'd be able to go to a, a, um, a poutine um, truck in Auckland. So, um, so she took it well. Um, I think they, frankly, have bigger problems right now than just my single little poutine book. No, um, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I would tell you, so to answer your question, like, it's probably like 5% done right now. Like, and But you've done a lot the- of the research, right? And you've already done the writing and you've done a lot of the eating. Yeah, there was more to do. I mean, so there was going to be another kind of road trip component and more kind of visiting restaurants uh, that I just didn't get to do. And I, I did speak to some of the restaurateurs over the phone and and just talk to them. Uh, but uh, it, it needs there needs to be something more. So uh, I'm going to have to probably head back at some point once the world is normal again and, and kind of finish it off. But the point I was going to say, though, is the last chapter... Um, is actually about New Zealand. So it's kind of how Poutine... So the book kind of delves into how Poutine went from this super rural local thing in Quebec to this kind of bigger metropolitan Montreal kind of thing, to this Canada-wide thing, which is in food courts everywhere and is bad, uh, to now just kind of this weird international dish. It's like becoming like pizza. Like it's just, you can find it in so many places. And it's been kind of untethered from what it was initially, which is not a bad thing. It's it's changing. And so it was going to finish off with a chapter just looking into Kiwi poutine. Like how weirder can you get, how farther away, I mean, can you get in kind of, in kind of spirit from, you know, rural Francophone farmer Quebec than, you, than, than New Zealand? And um, so the great thing about that is that research is like 0% done. Um, but you're in the right place for it. But I'm in the right place to do it. And also, that's a lot of eating. So I'm looking forward to that. Food. And also, I kind of feel like it's gone full circle. You know, like how far away can you get from... Yeah, geographically, we're not very close to Canada. But you will maybe, when you travel around New Zealand, go to some places that are not all too dissimilar. We yeah. should introduce you to Al Brown because he he's the executive chef at the Fed Deli. And he lived and worked in Montreal for a long time fell in love with a French Canadian named Brigitte who he wanted to marry but all she gave him was her recipe to her sugar pie uh, and he's really pioneered poutine in New Zealand so I think that'll be a good sort of interview for the New Zealand chapter for the book and the food deli is he's modeled it on a Montreal diner hasn't he oh my god he's quite clear that it's not a New York style deli it's a montreal style yes and the, the bagels are different right like the montreal bagels are a bit different the ones so that be struggling my first yeah. day in new zealand pretty much like at work i tweeted out because i was just like fine clean break so i clean I, I tweeted out some of the best montreal bagels in the world might not be in montreal they might be in new zealand at best ugly because those oh, bagels like and, and like half of my old colleagues were just like all right you're dead um, never come that's back. Canceled. That's exactly the same block um, chef that Simon was just speaking about. So yeah, he also owns Best Best Ugly. 
Yeah, they're like just at Justin Trudeau, revoke citizenship. It's fine. <laughs> he, Fair he's enough. made his bed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, best uglies bagels. As much as I, I care about poutine, Montrealers care about bagels. Like that is the most important thing to them. And I did have best ugly bagels the last time I was here and I was famished. And so my partner had gone away and I've ordered the bagels and I started eating them. And she came back 10 minutes later and she was, how, how were they? And I was just there like covered in bagel crumbs being like, oops, ar, ar, ar. Uh, like I hadn't even thought about how good they were. I just scarfed them down. And then after the fact, I was just like trying to remember what it was like as they just disappeared. And I was I just like, what, I know what those are um, good bagels. New Yorkers put on bagels, but what do Canadians put on bagels? Uh, so Montreal bagels, like so, like your classic Montreal bagel is going to be like just a sesame bagel um, with butter and then with lox. So generally, like yeah. lox are, are are kind of with the basic. Butter and, then... and lox. What are no, lox? No cream cheese. That's uh, salmon. It's uh, salmon. salmon. Ah. Cold like smoked salmon. salmon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, cold smoked salmon. And then some people will put uh, capers on it. Um, mm-hmm. That's fine. That that's okay. Um, and then. Some people will put uh, like, yeah, like cream cheese on it as well. Red onion? Red onion is perfectly acceptable as well. So like, it, the, let's just say like the fully loaded Montreal bagel would be like sesame bagel, maybe a little bit of butter, some smoked salmon, some capers, some red onion, and maybe some cream cheese. I just and didn't realize that butter goes good. with lox. I thought that you just needed cream cheese to be underneath it surely you of all people sophie knows that butter goes uh, with everything i am a butter enthusiast for sure but that is butter one goes combo with, like, your not fingers, tried. honestly <laughs> yeah I, and also i just described what uh so my pick for dinner this oh. week so we break up dinner at home like how, who makes it and my pick for thursday was what we just described so i'm i need to I go to best ugly dinner food yeah okay for dinner. Thought... is that traditional no Okay, and and I have have one more question. So is there any relationship between the Montreal bagels and, you know, Jewish neighbourhoods in New York and what they do with bagels? Because that's not too different what they put on top. Well, I mean, I'm not an expert on, like, Jewish culture, but I guess Montreal has its own Jewish neighbourhoods is is sort of the point. So Montreal and New York, they're not that far apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're both sort of maritime cities. You know, like they they both have like significant Hasidic populations. Um, So, you know, Montreal... So do you think that the Jewish um, cultural link might be responsible for the bagels in Montreal? Well, for Montreal, for for sure. I mean, most of the bagel places are are Jewish and they started up in like the old Shmada neighborhood, which is like the old Jewish textile neighborhood. It's super cool now. It's called like the Plateau uh, or or, uh, the Mile End. Um, and so there is a, a huge kind of influence of Jewish food in in Montreal um, that comes from this kind of the, the Jewish history, which yeah, it's, it's it's sort of like the New York one. They kind of came up at the same time. They're parallel, but but different. So you know, Montreal they get these these nice kind of ugly you know bagels that have a, like a little bit of honey in them, and they're a little sweet, and they're just fantastic. And then in New York they decided to make just spare tires of just ugly grossiness. <laughs> no bias. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, Montreal's bagels are, are kind of specific to Montreal, but I guess to answer, yeah, they, they, they kind of come from the same, same kind of wave of, of Jewish migration to North America, just, uh, just a slightly different part of it. I went to, um, Is Montreal's... I was just going to say, Sorry. I went to Zabar's in the Upper West Side in New York that is like your absolute classic old school Jewish deli, like there is, they've 
absolutely made no attempt to pretty it up and it was just such an awesome cultural experience like walking around looking at all the, there were so many foods that I was not familiar with in the cabinet and and like moving as like a French Canadian kid to Montreal that was actually so I lived in that neighborhood and that was actually one of oh. the great kind of cultural experiences was and that kind of became in some ways my food which I adopted which is like going to these Jewish delis which would be down the street and like these great Jewish like ba- breakfast places like um, there's this there's this place called Beauties in Montreal that's just like a classic and f- up until a few he just died the owner but he was just this, this lovely old man uh, called Jaime and he would always just sit on this front door uh, on this like stoop the step sorry right by the front door and he would always like sit you a stoop yeah no no but not stupid no no he's a stool (laughs) he sat on a stool just as old he was like this old he's very old and he and he like sat you in this beautiful like old classic diner and then there was this other diner called bagels etc that just made ridiculous amounts of food with which having now seen wellington prices incredibly cheap and it was right across the street from uh leonard cohen's house and so oh. you would just sit there in the front. And so there was just all these, it was like one of those places that you wouldn't know if you didn't know that, you know, this is where Leonard Cohen came. This is where just like great musicians have come through. This is where great like poets, like cultural figures have come through. And it was just this completely, this place that completely lacked in pretension. Um, and so, yeah, that was, it was great, man, to, awesome. to like, to eat that food. And so now that Wellington has a place, like I, Maybe I can get off at one and just go there. Maybe this this earthquake hasn't like messed up things. So I don't have a lunch today. So this sounds. Hopefully, good. there's still yeah, bagels yeah. on I the feel, other yeah. side. I feel like bagels now for lunch. Sorry, Alice, I interrupted you. Oh, I was just going to ask if the Jewish community of Montreal was francophone or anglophone. It's yeah, it's it's largely English. Um, I mean, some of them speak French. Um, oddly kind of as a kind of historical fluke the community actually so Montreal is like literally geographically separated between English and French like there there used to be it's not as much today but up until like 60 years ago the main kind of road that cuts right so Montreal is an island and the main road that cuts right the island in halves actually on one side it was English on one side it was French um and so the Jewish community's kind of historical uh neighborhood in Montreal is literally right in the middle on that road um so they, they, I mean, most people in the Jewish community speak French, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, it's, it's, it, I think it'd be English first or, you know, obviously a lot of Hebrew now as well. Yeah. What's the French word for bagel? Bagel. 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 <laughs> bagel. Or bagel. bagel. <laughs> <laughs> so lockdown changed the way I cook in quite a number of ways. But the biggest influence, I think, the biggest learning I had during lockdown was that sesame seeds go on absolutely anything, including, I just spoon them straight into my mouth now. Okay, I need more examples. Uh, so roasted broccoli, handful of sesame seeds. Yum. Uh, toast, like some peanut butter, handful of sesame seeds. Uh, okay, I get that. Roast chicken, handful of sesame seeds. Did you just find yourself with an excess of <laughs> sesame seeds? Well, no, I also discovered, and I'm a sucker for value for money, that sesame no. seeds, you Not get you. like <laughs> half a kilogram for $4 or something. And you Sweet. just, like, I'll just toast up in the frying pan bulk sesame seeds, and they'll just be sitting in a bowl beside in the kitchen, and I'll just throw them at everything. Ice cream, sesame seeds. 
Uh, do you know what? I could actually vouch for this because I went to Simon's house for lunch on Sunday and he made cheeseburgers and he dipped the whole lid of the burger in sesame seeds. And also, I bought a salad and then when it arrived at the table, sesame seeds. Yeah. <laughs> and it was yum. He's probably snorting them. Yeah. Well, he's, I reckon he, that would really hurt. He's a man mm. of his word. Yeah. I can't say I had the same experience with sesame seeds, but I'm open to it. Maybe I'll just turn it up a notch and report back next month. Did you find out anything about your personal, or did you have a, a personal growth in the kitchen while in lockdown? Oh, yeah. I mean, I made lots of things. Do you know what it was quite interesting? Um, I was outside um, a delivery zone for um my normal area anyway, we were out at um, Maraitai Beach in East Auckland. And um, I realised, which often happens when you're a New Zealander and you travel, how much we rely on eating a variety of cultures' food. And so I made butter chicken from scratch twice and absolutely loved it. I made laksa, just, just different things that I would usually prefer to outsource to the experts. But good to know how to do them. Very much so. Hmm. Lockdown seems, it seems like a weird dream now to me. Nightmare. Nightmare for Alice. Yeah, it was so weird. Coffeeless nightmare. Oh my God, the coffeeless, the coffeelessness was rough. But I did cook, I was really busy working, so I I cooked a lot because I had to. But what did I make? I did make things like sauerkraut and harissa, stuff that I, when I had time, I would make because I wanted to cook, but I didn't want to make like massive quantities of stuff because I was usually by myself. So I'd make, you know, condiments that I could keep. So that made me realise that I should make more condiments instead of like buying $14 fancy stuff from Farrah. Totally. I go through phases of that, of if you choose a condiment and make it your sweetheart for the moment, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. the liquid sesame seed, if you will, and then just yeah. put it on each me like you realize how far they go so like i was obsessed Mm. with um zug earlier this year oh yeah that's good so like green chilies cumin lots of coriander olive oil lemon juice that's basically it anyway i put it all over like delicious with lamb absolutely perfect with chicken so fresh with fish it was like the most versatile thing and um it makes sense doesn't it because it jazzes up like five meals from one cooking effort do you cook, Justin? Can you make poutine? I can. I can make poutine. I do. I do cook. Tina um, just jumped up. Yeah, the Very weirdest excited. time was uh, I spent I spent two months in East Africa and with friends, and we just um, we actually made poutine in Zanzibar. Uh, so oh. that was like the most. It was we had to go to some weird South African shop to find like cheese that was even close to curds but uh yeah man i will make poutine anywhere in the world uh, and, and do you know how to make it like great chips from a potato or do you need to buy those frozen chips you have to make it from a potato you, you oh, can't can use, you come and make us you can't poutine. yeah you can't make it you can't you can't use frozen fries like that just that's that doesn't work i do did want to cook them pardon me do you boil them and then roast them to get them crunchy i should be uh, so the last them. time we did it them. Yeah, well, the last time we did it, actually, we baked them, um, and yeah. that worked pretty well. Yeah, so we just, uh, you know, you blanch them, and then you bake them, 
Um, yeah, I have a recipe which I think actually makes almost perfect French fries, and you boil the potato with the skin on, and then once you take it out, you then peel it, cut it up, and roast it, and it, they literally go crunchy like French fries. We made homemade French fries like two days ago, and every time we make them, I'm always like, why do we buy fries? These are just so much better than anything you could buy in a store. Um, That's quite I, awesome. I did want to ask, so why why no coffee? Why no coffee in lockdown? What happened, Alice? Yeah, I'm sorry about uh, that. Well, I did have coffee. I had homemade coffee, but I very much enjoy a daily flat white purchased from a cafe. Perfect. I'm a Wellingtonian, so, you know, I like coffee. But Take coffee course, seriously. That, that was not available during Level 4 lockdown, so I was just bereft. And chomping at the bit to hit the cafes. One other thing that I thought that was really interesting from lockdown, from cooking, I like to cook from recipes because I think that other people presumably have tested them and know better than I do. And once I know something well, then I'm happy to wing it. But anyway, I think the value of a good recipe was really demonstrated to me because people are flinging around links all the time without actually verifying that they've made it and that it was good. Like, I don't totally. want your shitty banana loaf recipe unless it's going to blow my mind. And if then I want it. If you're really hungover, go and read the comments beneath people's recipes where they're like, oh my God, this recipe is amazing. But I didn't have any chicken, so I replaced it with tuna and <laughs> <laughs> there was no lettuce either. So I used broccoli and like they just completely change what they cook and then proclaim that it's a really awesome recipe. It's quite weird. It makes, it makes me nervous because, I mean, in, on the spectrum, people would probably say I'm a good cook. I'm not a fantastic cook, but I... I feel the more good recipes I cook, the more motivated I am to adhere to recipes. Like, for this is one example. I'm not a great baker, but I made Al Brown's ginger loaf. I'm like the ultimate Same. lockdown basic bitch. Anyway, I did it with my electronic scales. I weighed every ingredient perfectly. This is the first time I made it. And holy shit, it it blew my mind. I don't even like cake. And I was like looking for reasons to eat it in between meals. It was unbelievable. Then well, baking accuracy is very important, isn't, right? isn't it? So, it's so, it's science, so the not second like, time I know. did it, my, um, the batteries from my electronic scales were broken and I did all the conversion to cup things on Google. It was really oh. admin. Anyway, I thought I was repeating this wonderful experience for mother's day and it was it could not have been more different like it was just very average ginger cake so i thought that was really interesting as well and that just you know every time my husband's trying to veer off recipes i feel like now i've got really good reason to say remember what i did to the ginger loaf see i I thought it made me a, a more courageous cook and i think it was lockdown and moving simultaneously that i was i was getting ready to leave calgary and we had this all our stuff in our in our fridge, and unlike in New Zealand, lockdown in Canada was scary because there were so many people that were still coming down and continue to be coming down with coronavirus. So I'd read these recipes and be like, you need eggs. And I'd look in the fridge and there's no eggs. And I'm like, okay, hello, banana. Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I just... I, I just started like just winging it like farther and yeah, further yeah. off of recipes because I was like, I'm going to use what's in my fridge and what's in this pantry and I'm not buying anything else. So it'd be like soy sauce and I'd be like hoisin sauce. Sounds yeah. good. <laughs> Sounds uh, like hoisin sauce. Yeah. I get that. And I think that that was a really um, cool experience as well, particularly because 
if you live in a city like we do, we've come to um, outsource quite a lot of um, meals that are off centre, I think. So I had basically uh, restocked my pantry to the level where I could open a cookbook and cook anything I wanted. And like, I'm not talking super fancy or anything. I just had all of the things that it was like a childhood throwback when you used to just cook from whatever was in the pantry instead of even thinking about cafes or going to the supermarket for like one meal's ingredients. Hey, I have to go shortly Alice to has hear a meeting our with friend, Ashley Bloomfield. Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. Oh, so shall we... I can't my, believe you got to also woken up. Shall we quickly say, now we're allowed to dine in restaurants again, what we've been eating? You go first, Alice, and you can leave. Great. I went to Waiheke Island at the weekend, and, and I went to the Oyster Inn, which is now run by Josh Emmett, celebrity chef... And he was, at, and I kind of figured he'd be running it, but not actually, you know, there. But he was there in the kitchen, and his wife Helen was on the floor, and the food was really good. I got a delicious like miso roast cauliflower with friki. Yum. My sister had a delicious scampi pasta. My dad had flounder. It was just, it was all really good. Lovely atmosphere, lovely service. Yum. Good I mean, times. You'd expect that from Josh and Helen, wouldn't you? But I was so totally. so pleased when I saw that they bought it. I actually got married such there. Such a good spot. Did you? Yeah. Oh, romantic. So romantic. But it was um yeah, the the food that um has been on the menu at Oyster Inn, but it makes perfect sense for the venue that it is, I think. Thanks, Alice. Good luck with okay, Ashley. I'm gonna go. Oh my gosh, so jealous Bye, you get to talk to Ashley. Hi. I don't. I'm just. I'm just on the the one pm press conference. But you know, I'll talk to him. Tell him his hair. Tell him his haircut was is spectacular. It's very very jazzy, isn't it? Mm. Okay, what I guys. love this week, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield has started saying "talo for lover." Yeah. Samoan language. Samoan language week. Ah, I wondered whether there was like you know Samoan notoriety attending the media press conferences. Dr. Ashley Bloomfield is so woke, I can't imagine that he ever sleeps. Like, he is just the perfect. <laughs> <you know. laughs> He's perfect, <laughs> said everyone in New Zealand. Sophie, what have you been, where have you been eating? Uh, on Saturday evening, I went to Celeste for drinks and nibbles with friends. So it was just beautiful to have a Maharangi oyster with mignonette and a glass of sparkling wine in my mouth. It was so delicious. And they made a really beautiful um, smoked carrot um, hummus that comes with toasted hazelnuts and their sourdough, which was really delicious. They also um, uh, had char grilling piquillo peppers, which were really yum. And then we went down the road to Cotto. Um, <laughs> Two for them. <laughs> as you Two do. Yeah, and um, had about 14 different dishes off the menu there. And I think the two that blew my mind were the charred cos um, with a an anchovy crumb and mayonnaise and the uh, saffron risotto that had pickled fennel and fresh mozzarella on the top of it. And it was just like simplicity and perfection. And I was just like literally have this huge grin on my face and David just looked at me and he's like wow you're happy to be back in restaurants aren't you I was like I had no idea until now 
And shout out to Cotto, who's now working with Everybody Eats. How is that working, Sophie? Uh, so the pasta boxes that they put together for Level 3 are um, a collaboration with Everybody Eats, a partnership, um, where every time you buy one of those boxes, they donate um, $3 to Everybody Eats, um, and that's enough to feed a New Zealander in need. So another Fantastic. good reason to give it a go. And Justin, how have you found Wellington's food scene? So I've been out of, today is one week, one week since I've been out of uh, isol- or quarantine. And let's see, in that week, <laughs> compared to you guys, wow. Um, I grabbed fish and chips from like a local place, like three, three or four streets down from, from our new place in Wellington, which was, which was great. And, you know, we did that too. Up. That's like something you can't cook yourself at home. It's a great shout. Yeah. And it was it was like perfectly like New Zealand, you know. That's 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 what the Pullman doesn't make you. They don't make you fish and chips. What? Um, and uh, and then after that, we went for a Saturday brunch or Sunday brunch at a diner in Petoni, and uh, which is really sad because after I spent like two weeks pretty much eating um, pancakes, I ordered pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> love hate relationship. Just love. It's just love. Oh, awesome. And I had my first uh, night out with my wife since the boys were born on Boxing Day. And that was was at Lillian, which was absolutely lovely. Just loving the freshness and simplicity of their food. The courgette pizza with courgette puree and lemon was... I love that. And it's got chili flakes on it, doesn't it? Oh, it was so good. Yeah. That was so delicious with the Bianco base. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you on board the Good Ship spin-off and especially excited to have you come to Auckland and cook poutine for us. Yes. How do you make your gravy? I don't actually have like a pretty standard recipe for that. I kind of just throw it together. But do you make a roux and then add the... Yes, yes. Right, and you're using the animal fat in that roux? The animal fat. Like, do you use the the drippings from the meat to make your roux or do you use butter? So oftentimes I'll just kind of use like a base that's actually pre-made by like a Quebec poutine place, but that's not available here. Uh, So so I'm going to have to, uh, even when we're in East Africa, I actually brought packages with me. So you go to East Africa for like two months and we all pack poutine stuff Um, because as people do. My son is losing the plot. We may have lost Justin. I it's, just, it's all falling apart. Let's, let's call it. There's been an earthquake. <laughs> Thank you, Tina. Lovely to talk to you all. You've been I better awesome. Run. Tina, I will record a members meeting, a members shout out for you in between. Whoops, I kind of just put that into the podcast. Nice to meet you, Justin. Yeah. No, Sounds I have to good. go to my son. <laughs> oh, he's back and there's two of them. <laughs> oh, wow. Technology. <laughs> We're just wrapping it up, Justin. Thanks, everyone, for Yeah, sorry about that. Bye. Talk to you next month. Uh, And good luck at the Beehive. Exciting times. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiai Butler here, Podcast Manager at The Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.